Welcome to Safety Help with Tony Collins. Join him to learn how to improve workplace safety to be legally compliant, win more contracts and increase profits. Hi listeners and welcome back. This podcast is actually part of a series I have produced that explains how to set up your own safety system. The audio is taken from a video training course which is available for free from my website www.safetyhub.co.nz but you know I know some people like the podcast format which is probably you know why you're listening now but if you do prefer video or even want to buy the product that goes with the course it's all on the website and the details are there but let's get into this particular chapter right away information training and supervision this chapter is all about ensuring that your employees know their responsibilities with regards to health and safety in your workplace, which includes how to manage the hazards that they're exposed to. Section 12 of the Health and Safety Act requires every employee be given information on their workplace in a way they understand, which includes covering off on what to do in an emergency, relevant hazard controls, and location of safety clothing, devices, equipment, materials, etc. The Act is quite specific about making sure that while an employer is doing their work, you must ensure that they have the knowledge, experience and training to ensure they are not likely to cause harm to themselves and to other people. That means the employer, you, must take all steps practicable to ensure that they are trained and or are supervised. The aim of this chapter then is we're going to teach you how to put together a package which covers off on those sections of the Act. Um, We're going to teach you how to develop an induction program, a training and an information program, all relevant to your workplace. Before we go on, I want to talk about education versus training. And it's important that you understand that there is a difference between the two when you're putting together your programs. When you train somebody, you identify a skill that needs to be taught, you instruct in a manner that they understand then you check for understanding and then you test them in some way it doesn't have to be a you know written test it can be a practical test so what you've done is you've filled a gap you've identified the skill then you've taught it and you've checked that they understand and can do that skill education is more generic though it's about informing the person about a particular topic you don't know what they'll take in you don't know you're not going to be able to check necessarily for understanding. You're not going to be able to do a practical or theoretical test on that skill. But by presenting the information in different means, with a bit of humour and hopefully if you do it enough, the intent is that you're going to empower the person to take that knowledge and apply it to different situations. For example, um, if you've got kids, imagine your kids came home and said... um, our school are going to run a program around alcohol and we need our parents' permission to attend this, these classes. Now, you will know the difference if I say to you, the school are requesting your permission to conduct alcohol education or compared to they're going to conduct alcohol training. Completely different mindset. The Department of Labor have produced a really good video demonstrating this educational role and it's uh, a video for Pacific Islanders and it's by Pacific Islanders and it's asking them about safety in the workplace and the importance of that message. Now the intent is that Pacific Islanders will 
relate to this video and they will buy into that message and go and apply it to their workplace. Other methods include displaying safety information, for example, signs and safety posters, posters in all work areas. And when you're educating people with this material, it's really important to get them engaged, get them involved, have competitions, ask them to tailor the message to their workplace, use the jargon that they are using, don't use safety talk. So these are very important educational messages. Another way is having a reference library available of health and safety information that all the staff can, can get to. The key thing with I find with education is to have a bit of fun with it. Keep it humorous. Keep it different. Chop it up. Change it. Get people involved. What we will now do, though, is we're going to concentrate on developing your training program. To do that, we're going to work through this flow chart. So we're going to identify the needs, develop a plan, deliver the training, and then we're going to uh, review. So training and supervision program. Let's determine the needs or identify the needs first. The first place to start is to identify the need. And the good news here, once again, is a lot of the work has already been done in the hazard management chapters. So what we're going to do is grab all of your job descriptions within your workplace and read through them and get a, a feel based on the location, the types of jobs or tasks that they do, where they're going to work, um, what sort of hazards they're going to be exposed to. And you, you can do that because you've got your hazard register. And the beauty is the hazard register also has the controls already worked out. So you can look at your job description, see if match it up with a particular hazard, you know what controls need to be put in place, and therefore you can determine what training this job is going to need. From that work, we will be able to compile a training schedule for each job description in a Word document or an Excel document, and you can just put it together quite simply like I've demonstrated here. So in my example, we look at uh, job printer A, and we look at the work. Obviously, there's going to be some printing and some computer work. We've already identified that the printer has a noise hazard associated with it, and the control, one of the controls is using an air defender. Therefore, there's a training requirement on the use of air defenders. Quite simple. Also, there's some computer work there, and that computer work, the hazard associated with that computer work, flows onto other types of jobs as well. So the controls and the training are going to be the same. And what you're going to be able to do is add those generic type training requirements to the schedule for groups of workers exposed to the same or similar type of hazard. Another example is that all employees are going to need some regular fire and evacuation training. And you can take that from the emergency preparedness work you did earlier. You can take the training requirement and apply it to everybody. This is a great opportunity for you to put all your training in one place. And you can take other health and safety requirements, for example, um, health and safety rep training or attendance at seminars and courses. You can program them into here against the job description and you can also include other types of um, CPD or continual professional development training in the one place. And remember though, not all, all training is queued off hazard training or hazard controls because 
a lot of the hazard management is already built into the way you use a piece of machinery. Um, you know, your safe or standard operating procedures on using this uh, piece of equipment or the process that you follow when you're doing a particular task. Um, so it's important that you identify correct procedures for the particular job and make sure you teach those and document in this program as well. The next step is to develop a plan. Now you'll need to find the best method to train the employee to ensure that they can operate safely at work. And what we're going to do then is we're going to build a training matrix. And the matrix will serve as a record of training completed. Remember, document control is really important when, you, when you're building this plan. So you need to ensure that you assign this management task to, to somebody and ensure it is completed and reviewed. The record of training provides an overview to help in your management and specific details of the course when a person completed the course, etc. will all need to be annotated against a person's personal record of training. So that's right, you will need a more detailed personal record of training as well. Now we know what training each position requires to have because we've done that earlier. Now we have to schedule the training and find the best type of training. There is no right or wrong answer here when we're trying to work out what is the best type of training because remember the intent of is that we're trying to empower your employees with the skills and knowledge to prevent harm to themselves or anyone else. For example, if we're looking at the record of training and uh, the forklift training requirement, is there a forklift training course recognised within your industry as best practice? There is normally many means to achieve such training. However, on-the-job training is usually also required to upskill and tailor the course to your actual workplace. Your plan must ensure only suitably skilled and experienced people are supervising employees receiving on-the-job training. Now, that's pretty obvious, but it's amazing how many people let this go, the blind leading the blind almost. You have to ensure that the person teaching is signed off and can teach. What that means is that you must have a supervision system, and that's what the record of training will allow you to do, to identify who is competent to supervise because we want to make sure that an employee's inexperience does not put them or others in danger. And then make sure your supervisors have the relevant skills and training. So how are you going to sign off a supervisor as a supervisor? And then determine who is responsible for supervising new employees. There's no point having a supervisor in one area signed off and trying to train someone in another. They're supervising only in what they know. So now we're going to deliver the training. We've already talked about a formal course that that person may attend, and then you're going to have to supplement that with on-the-job training because even the best course will not be tailored to your workplace, most of the times anyway, unless you're conducting the course in-house. When you're giving on-the-job training, there are some really key steps that you need to follow in order to demonstrate a task. So first off, provide context. Explain the importance of the task. Give the big picture about what you're doing. Go over the checklist and demonstrate the task from an, an employee's perspective with appropriate pace and the pausing and exaggeration of movement and, and being quiet. Explain the key points. 
demonstrate it a second time, and of course, here's the key, check the employee's understanding. Encourage them before they attempt it. The important point here is you want to check that they have learned what you've taught. And uh, generally, the best way of, of checking for this is getting them to do it and getting them to explain to you what you've just told them. So having conducted the on-the-job training, it doesn't finish there. A few minutes or hours of training doesn't mean that that person's going to be proficient at that skill. You're going to need to follow up and check on that person at regular intervals, and that depends on the complexity of the task, and that's something you're going to have to program in as well. When you're developing your plan and determining the training provider, make sure the people who do the health and safety training in your workplace are also competent to do so. You need to develop criteria for selecting trainers or companies and record those criteria as well. And then keep records of your trainers' skills, experience and qualifications. And that leads us into reviewing the needs. In any management process, you need to review the program that you've provided because things do change. New training requirements or techniques will be developed the employees will provide feedback and you'll be able to change the way that you're teaching. So do a gap analysis, talk to your employees, review accident registers. Your hazard manage- management process includes the need to constantly review and identify possible hazards, which will also feed back into your training requirement. So now we've talked about the basic outline of a plan and by way of example, I want to talk about PPE or personal protective equipment. Using the previous example about the printing press, you have identified noise as a hazard and determined one of the control measures is to use PPE, personal protective equipment, in this case, air defenders. And now you must develop the training program for your employees on how to correctly wear and manage that PPE. You decide to use a 4Es model to encourage employees to use the PPE. So you're going to educate, enable, engage, and enforce. The first three are all about giving your employees the opportunity to to engage in health and safety. And this is where we're talking about education before. Um, Wearing air defenders is not a particularly uh, difficult skill. So it's not not really a, a training. Uh, program to, to put them on, although you just need to go through a few things. But it's certainly you want to educate them on the, the reasons why they should be wearing them, why it's going to benefit them, and of course it's going to benefit your workplace. But get them engaged. Ask them to tell you why they should be wearing air, air defenders. This provides a really great opportunity to develop the workplace relationship and for staff to see that they are valued and invested in. The best position to be is where your staff wants the desired option themselves, which is to wear, in this case, the air defenders. So let's go through it. We want to educate employees about the noise hazard and make it personal to them. How the hazard can affect their health or safety, their lifestyle, Inform them about air defenders and how they will protect them against the hazard and when to use the PPE. It's really, really important, though, that when you're talking to them, you talk in their language, whatever language that that may be. Get them 
to to buy into it by relating to them. Get them to come up with the posters. Use them to come up with the initiatives. It's so important. Otherwise, you're getting into this uh, autocratic enforcement stage, which we don't want to get to first. We may need to, but we're going to educate people first. And now we're going to enable employees, which basically means we're going to provide air defenders, but they have to they have to fit the person and be the right type of air defenders. It's not a matter of one size fits all, and some styles have a more a, more of an acceptable look, if you like. They're more trendy, um, if they can be. Employees also need to be trained how to use the PPE correctly. On the subject of PPE, it is it is actually written in the law that an employer must provide PPE for the individual, for their staff member. They can't uh, give them a, a wage or an allowance and have them go and provide their own PPE. Unless an employee wants to use their own PPE, um, then an employer still must ensure that it's fit for purpose. And I saw a really good working example of this in a factory. It was a very noisy factory. The employer provided air defenders or allowed the individual to bring in their own um, air defenders which had an inbuilt radio and that the employer would subsidise the cost of the normal air defenders. Um, and in that case, the employer won because they're protecting the employee from the hazard and the employee won because they, they kept sane because they're listening to the radio. Now we want to engage the employees. Are there any issues or perceptions that lead to a reluctance to use the PPE? Is it regarded as uncomfortable? Is it cumbersome, you can't do my job properly, or is it restricting? If so, what can be done about it? People are more likely to use the PPE if they've chosen it personally. And have they had a choice in the selection of their PPE? Is it considered uncool or not macho to use PPE? If so, where does this belief come from? Are management, supervisors and senior workers modelling good work practice to less experienced workers? Engaging. Critical. Finally, if all else fails, then we enforce. By law, employers must provide PPE to protect employees against uh, the hazard. We've already talked about that. And they must ensure that employees use it. And at the same time, employees are required to use the PPE they are given. In other words, PPE is not an optional extra. And if an employee persistently refuses to use it, even though you've try to educate, enable and engage them, then they leave the employer no option but to resort to a disciplinary procedure. Now to remove any doubt over this matter, the use of PPE can be made a condition of the worker's employment and is written into the employment agreement. Health and Safety Induction Programme. The last component we're going to set up is the Health and Safety Induction Programme. And what is that? Basically, is, uh, what an induction program is, is that when somebody arrives at your workplace, whether that be a new employee, someone transferring from one part of the workplace to another, uh, a visitor or even contractor can use the same induction program, you're going to teach them what they need to know about the area they're now working in. So we're going to develop one. We're going to make this induction compulsory to complete for all new employees and employees internally transferring 
within the company to a different place, role or job. The ACC have put together a template you may want to consider and I would recommend downloading it as an example and then we'll go ahead and create it, create your own in Microsoft Word. Your induction program needs to cover all of these elements. Now, that may seem like an awful lot of work, and, and I guess it is, but the good news is you've already covered off on each of those bullet points in the previous chapters. So now all we have to do is pull it together into a relevant document. One way is you could present all of the previous information that you've done, this wad of um, information, and give it to the employee, but the re reality is that they... They, they won't understand it, they probably won't even read it, they'll just go away and sit somewhere and come back and, and you would have wasted your time and effort. So what we need to do is pull out the relevant pieces of information for each employee. And this is really simple to do. First one, employee and employer responsibilities. Include in the front of your induction form the company policy statement on health and safety. Also, schedule a meeting, an introductory meeting with a supervisor or a manager and have that manager, you know, apart from the, the general welcome, etc., uh, part of that, that message should be to reaffirm the content of that policy and the company's commitment to that employee's health and safety. Now, explain how employees are actively engaged in your workplace. Now, include an abbreviated version of the employee participation system. But please don't call it that. Call it something that they'll relate to or understand. Um, you know, different cultures, nationalities, generation X, Y. Just make it make it in a language that they'll understand, which obviously implies all the way through this induction that you're building. Emergency procedures: simple. Include what you expect personnel or your staff to do, and that's from the previous work, and that's the same with the incident, injury, and reporting. Uh, what to do if an employee is injured. Although, in this case, you want to specify where the first aid kit is, who is trained in first aid, uh, who the health and safety rep is, how to report, and this is going to be more of a um, walk them through it, show them where it is type scenario. Simple though. Similarly, with employer and employee responsibilities for rehabilitation, pull in the relevant information into that chapter. Up until the last two points about hazard management and health and safety equipment, the induction form can be quite generic because it will apply, apply to every employee. But the last two points are really going to be quite specific to the individual because you know they're going to have be exposed to different hazard. The um, the PPE may be different, etc. There are two things that you can do here. You can, if you're a small company, you may like to include how to manage those hazards on the same induction form because you may have a limited number of hazards being a small company. Um, if, which is not always the case, so because you know, if you're a large company as well. Um, you may have small hazards as well. You, you know, let's say you're all office workers, so you could include them all in the induction form. Another method is to is to break out and have the employee refer to the hazard register, depending upon the type of work they're doing. And this is where your training program will kick in. Your induction will refer to the training and the hazards relevant for that person. So you may have to break it out separately for 
the type of work that they're going to be doing. Regardless of how you put together your induction program, it is critical that it is signed and dated by the employee and manager. This will provide the proof that the induction occurred. So the action steps then for this chapter. We're going to identify the training needs. And from that, we're going to produce a training requirement for each job description. Then we're going to add on generic health and safety training and add other continuous professional development training so you have it all in the one training needs program. Then you're going to develop a specific training plan which includes the record of training, the courses that that individual will need to attend because they're doing this particular job and of course how you're going to manage the the on-the-job training, the OJT. Then you need to deliver the plan and then plan a review and then now go ahead and write an induction program for new or transferring employees. This has been another episode on Workplace Safety by Tony Collins. For more tips, visit safetyhub.co.nz and join the free newsletter.